Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're certainly glad you're here. Fun fact about Christmas happening on a Sunday morning. Last time this happened was back in 2011, and it'll happen again in 2022. So uh, just thought that was kind of a fun fact because this doesn't happen very often. And I thought it was really special that it did happen um, because we get to worship Christ on the day of his birth. And I think that's really uh, pretty significant. Um, you know, I think Christmas is really an interesting and powerful time of year because I think it um, reflects the hope and the longing that we all have, that we all long for this season to be a season of peace, merriment, and joy, and, and family, and that everything comes together and it's harmonious. And because we all have that sense, I think that's why Christmas has you know, just generated millions, especially in our culture. I think that's why you see us uh, traveling to see family. I think that's why you see us spending so much on elaborate holiday meals and why you see us giving these beautiful gifts of, of love in the form of, of gifts under the tree. I think that's the essence is that we're trying to get a hold of something that we long for in this Christmas season. And every 12 months, it comes around. And so we put so much pressure on this time of year to be a season of peace. But I think the realistic... Uh, perception here is that it sadly disappoints every year. There is no peace, despite how good your Christmas may be this year, which I hope it's wonderful. You know, we think of it as an idyllic time, and I think it's really a longing for heaven. I think it's our hearts that God put with us, our, our, our innate spirit, that we are begging for the reconciliation of this world and our, and our own selves to God. And so I think that despite how good your Christmas is going to be this year, it's still going to fail because it's temporary. And I think oftentimes Christmas brings with it more chaos than it does peace. I think oftentimes Christmas brings with it more strife than healing. I think oftentimes this is a season that magnifies the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety that we have in our lives because it's a heightened sense of what we long for. And when we don't get what we long for, we are that much more devastated, are we not? And so I think this season is really fascinating in that it shows us our need for peace. Because we are longing for an ultimate peace. And that's what our passage this morning is about. It's about ultimate peace being born into the world. So it's not like Christmas, even though Christmas is about what we're talking about today. Because we're talking about ultimate peace that lasts. So look with me at Luke 2. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 2. We're going to go through the first 20 verses. Let's begin. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all that went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in excelsis Deo, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open hearts, including mine, to hear your gospel message, the gospel of peace, the gospel of reconciliation that you offer freely as a gift through Christ Jesus. And this morning I pray that for those who are too comfortable, I pray that you would disrupt them. And for those that are disrupted this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort. We ask that in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So just looking at your outline that's in your bulletin, I want to take you through this right quick. We're going to be talking about three sections this morning of this passage, pretty easily identifiable. Um, we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. We're going to be talking about the message of peace. And we're going to talk about the gift of peace causes, what that causes in us. So first let's look at the birth of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and how that fulfills promises of peace. So first thing is we need to look all the way back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15. You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you what it says. This is in the context of man's first sin. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden fell from grace into sin, took upon themselves their free will, and were disobedient to the Lord's commands. And as soon as that section of Scripture is over, God gives us the first promise of peace. This is called the first gospel. It's Genesis 3.15. Look at it later. What it says, essentially, is that there would be one who ultimately brings peace through crushing Satan. That Jesus, who we understand this to be now, is going to fulfill that promise. And so we see that first promise that's going to be fulfilled in Christ through his birth. Then, as you go through the biblical story throughout the scriptures, you're going to see this, this promise continuing to build on itself throughout the scriptures. But we see it very clearly in 2 Samuel 7, where there's the Davidic covenant, where God is talking to David, who is his king of Israel at this time, and he promises David that he will make him into a throne and a kingdom that lasts forever. And this is really significant. We don't typically study David enough. We don't typically understand the significance of who David is in the biblical storyline, but it's really important because the people of this time who would have been the original audience, they understood this very, very well. So much so that in the first two chapters of Luke, we see the name David six times. So whatever David connotes, he is making that very clearly associated with Jesus Christ. And so the promise of, of David's throne lasting forever and how David was the idyllic king but still fell, we're seeing that 
made new and better in Jesus Christ. That is a promise that's going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ in this passage and in his life and in his death and in his ascension. So even though David was a great king that brought incredible peace to Israel, he unified the kingdom, he still fell, and he was still not able to make that kingdom last forever. But there will be one from his line, it says, who continues that promise and makes it better and brings it to fruition, and that's who Jesus Christ is. And finally, we have a promise to Mary in chapter 1, who's the virgin in this story. Verse 30, it says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in the womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Which, by the way, Jesus, the name actually means Yahweh saves. Wow. How cool is that? And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, listen to this, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So what we see from this, we see three promises immediately being fulfilled in Jesus' birth. And all of these promises mean that they're pushing us to understanding that Jesus is going to reign on the kingly throne of David forever. And the, the job of the king is to bring us peace. So Jesus Christ is going to bring us peace. And that's the gospel message. That's good news. That's what we're talking about today. We also have a prophecy that's being fulfilled here in Micah, where Micah tells us that the ruler that these other passages are referring to is going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem happens to be where David is from. That means that Jesus is of the tribe of David. He is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and that is fulfilled in this this passage as we look through verses 1 through 5. So in 1 through 5, we have what's happening here is Caesar Augustus has ordered a census so that he can tax the people. And we see that Joseph has to leave Nazareth to go to the city of David, Bethlehem, which is where he's from, to be registered because that was his ancestral home. Okay, So he had to go there in order to fulfill these promises. But what I want you to see is that Caesar Augustus was merely a pawn in God's chess game to bring about his ultimate fulfillment of these promises. Caesar Augustus was not a Christian. In fact, Caesar Augustus demanded that other people in his kingdom worship him. So he's actually the antithesis of a worshiper of Christ, and yet God uses him to bring about his glory and his fulfilled promises. Amen? Amen. So, we see that this is a very significant thing in the, the way that Jesus is filling this Davidic promise. The birth of Jesus shows us how God's plan of being bringing peace cannot be stopped and fulfills promises of peace that will last forever. The birth of Jesus also embodies the gospel message of peace. In verses 6 and 7, we see this birth taking place. And while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The birth of Christ is known theologically as the incarnation. And that means that God has come to be man. Webster defines the incarnation as God becoming manifest and making himself comprehensible or understandable. And that's exactly what the incarnation does in this passage. We are seeing, like Colossians told us, 
the Christ, who is the pre-incarnate Lord of all, coming into the world to make peace and to reconcile his people to himself. Matthew calls Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this embodies the gospel of peace because God has condescended in order to reach his people. And that was the only way that he could have reached his people. Because we read elsewhere in Scripture that even our good deeds, like Roger mentioned, are as filthy rags to the Lord. So there's nothing we can do to earn favor and merit before the Lord because even our best deeds, me standing up here preaching God's message, this is filthy rags to the Lord because it's still tainted with me. It's still tainted with my sin. It's still tainted with my ego, my pride, what have you. All of our good deeds are still tainted and filthy before the Lord. So it takes the Lord coming into our world to reconcile us. I'll never forget a time I was in Kansas City and I was at a mechanic shop and this woman who was working there surprised me. We started talking about what I intended to do in my life and be in ministry. And she said one of the most profound quotes I've ever heard. She said, the difference between religion and Christianity is this. Religion is man reaching out to God and Christianity is God reaching out to man. And I just like, whoa, I'm in a, whoa, I didn't expect that. But this woman was so right. And that's exactly what this passage is showing us. And that's exactly what was required in order to make peace with God. God had to make the peace. We couldn't make that peace. So the birth of Jesus embodies the gospel of peace. Because we see that God left peace. God left heaven to come and be among us. God left order and heaven and peacefulness to step into chaos in order to make straight our paths. Divinity became man. Royalty became poverty. Infinite strength became weakness. This is all embodying the gospel of peace because the way Jesus was born will be the way he lived and ultimately the way he died, and that is how we are made peaceful with God. So, moving on in our message, I want us to look at the message of peace, and specifically how the message of peace is for the broken. Look with me at verse nine, 8 and 9. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We romanticize the, the role of shepherds. We, we think well of them because, you know, they're taking care of sheep. Jesus is referred to as shepherd, and that's great. There's something beautiful about that. But in the historical context, shepherds were really not that good of people, okay? Shepherds, uh, in fact, they, they basically lived outside with their animals, which they were basically dirty. They were smelly. They were literally unclean. They were ceremonially unclean which in that day meant that they had no religious practice. They had no access to the temple. That meant that they had no relationship with the Lord. Ultimately, it meant that they had no friends. They were so reputed to be thieves and liars and scoundrels that their actual testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law. So these shepherds were essentially outcasts. And so I think that's good news. Because this message of peace is giving, given not to the wealthy, not to the righteous, not to the elite, not to the priests, not to the kings. It's given to the scoundrel, broken shepherds. 
And that's good news. Because that's who we are too. The message of peace is for the broken. The message of peace is for you and me. Because we don't deserve it. God came to the lowest. These men were one step above lepers in their society. So the message is good news and it's for us. This message of peace is good news. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I love how it says fear not, because I think that this actually encapsulates the gospel message in itself. Because here's some men who have no standing before God. They're broken. They're dirty. They have no access. They're outcast in society. And standing before angels with the glory of the Lord shining around them, they would be terrified because the only thing they would understand is that wrath has come upon them. And the angels say, fear not. You are not condemned. Perfect love drives out fear. And these men experienced peace in the giving of the message. There was no fear to be had because they had acceptance with the Lord. And then they refer to it as good news. And this is where we get the word gospel. This is what we talk about. This, the gospel is the good news. This is why we get up here and preach about Jesus, because it's good news. As Richard mentioned last night, it's not good advice. It's good news. It's here. It's for the taking. And so the gospel message is simply this. What could never be earned, you can never lose. The gospel message of peace is this. Christ saves sinners. Christ came for the broken, not for the elite. Not because they had earned it. He came out of grace for them. Ephesians 2.8-9 refers to the gospel this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. That's the gospel message that we're getting through this. So the message of peace is also about the Christ child. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, for unto you, and I think we need to pause there just for a second, because the unto you is personalized. This is not a blanket statement that the angels are making to everyone. This is specified to the, the, the broken shepherds and saying, this is for you. You can have this message. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, again referencing David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I think that you guys need to understand, I need to understand that this is one of the most densely packed theological statements about Christ in the entire Bible. This passage, or this verse rather, is unique in the New Testament as it refers to Jesus as being Savior, Christ, and the Lord. No other place in the New Testament does that happen all in such a condensed little verse. Okay, And so this is telling us very plainly who he is and what he's going to do. So let's look at each one of these words just a little bit. The city of David, like I've highlighted, this is referencing the greatness of David and how Jesus is going to surpass him by ten hundred thousand million fold. He will be the greater David. He will be the Messiah. He will be the one who was promised to reign on the throne and have his kingdom established forever. And that is a picture of peace. 
That's a picture of peace. And so then he refers to him as Savior, which I think we just need to pause for a second and and think about what that insinuates. Well, it insinuates we need a Savior. We are broken and we need something to be reconciled. In the Old Testament, this word is used how God delivers his people from destruction, from enemies, from violence, from illness, and how great it would be and gracious of God to give us those things, even now this Christmas season, because we all are beset by those forms of evil in some way or another. And yet that will not give us ultimate peace. And that's not the ultimate peace that is proclaimed in this passage. But all the same, he's coming to be our Savior. You know, we think about the evil in the world being out there. But the truth is that the evil that he came to save us from is actually right in here. That's one of the main differences between Reformed theology and a lot of other theologies, that we think that that the evil out there is actually the evil in here, that we ourselves need that. And so he actually came to save us from ourselves, our own sin, our own disobedience. Psalm 14 puts it this way, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so through that we we see that we need a Savior because we deserve wrath and punishment and only God himself can give us reconciliation. Let's look at what we mean by the word Christ as Luke calls him Christ. This is what I was referring to earlier with David and the emphasis of the Davidic line. This word Christ really means Messiah, but it also has this connotation in the Old Testament of the anointed one, and that was something of the kingly order. So this anointed one, this promised one, this Messiah, that's going to be who Jesus Christ is, and it tells us exactly what he's going to do. He is going to deliver his people, and he's going to reign forever over a kingdom of peace. The king was supposed to make straight the crooked, and give us peace, and that's exactly what he does. We think that this is his last name. It's not actually his last name, Jesus Christ, but it has become so intimately associated with him because of his life and work that it's equivalent to his name. And then he finally refers to him as the Lord. This means that he is the sovereign ruler of all. In the Old Testament, the word Lord, as it's translated into Greek, refers to the name of God, Yahweh, and it refers it, it's, it's, it's 9,000 times in the Old Testament. So what he's saying here is so bold in our face, if we understood like these significant little things, is that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah, and he is God himself coming to reconcile his people through his birth. And this is an unbelievable message. As we see in verse 12, the angels give them a sign to go find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And as soon as they give them this sign, they burst into worship. They worship the Christ child himself who has been born, and they say, glory to God in the highest, worshiping him, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this is so significant, this peace among those with whom he's pleased. That's the gospel message. Because as I hope I've done my job so far to illuminate how you and I need a Savior, and how even our good deeds are filthy rags, We can't impress God. We can't earn God's love. 
Romans says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It then says that the wages of sin is death. And so it's only for those with whom He is pleased. So the gospel is this peace, and it's, it's manifested in the incarnation itself. And it doesn't come as we would expect. We don't expect God to come as a baby to, to see this humility, to see, as Roger mentioned, being born and, and living, or I'm sorry, sleeping in a, in a wooden manger and then being hung on a wooden tree. We don't expect that. But that's exactly how God manifests his love to us in Christ Jesus. When my daughter was uh, just a couple months old, I ordered a uh, onesie for her, and it said, I'm the wretch the song refers to. And that's kind of offensive to some people, but according to my theology, it's very true. The words come from Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And that's my prayer for my daughter every day. That's my prayer for my daughter who doesn't deserve, even in her seven-month-old state, she doesn't deserve heaven. She doesn't, she, she's condemned already through the inherited sin of Adam. She's condemned in a corrupt nature and a corrupt will. And so are we. And so this peace is only as a gift for those with whom he's pleased. Peace comes through death. Peace comes through Christ being rejected by God. Peace comes through Christ suffering God's wrath in your place. Peace comes through bloodshed, ultimately. But that peace is not for everyone. That's what this is telling us. We all deserve God's wrath, and no one can earn his love. That is why it is a gift, as it says, among those with whom he is pleased. Ephesians 2.14 says, He himself, Christ, is our peace. And why is that? Because he himself is our righteousness. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. And he exchanged his righteousness for our filth so that we can be reconciled to the Lord. So if we can't please God, then the pleasure he has in us would only come as a result of gift. You all catching that so far? And that gift is for you this morning. That is the true Christmas gift, and it can be yours this morning by faith in Christ. That's the message of peace this morning. So now I want us to look at what this causes in us. The gift of peace causes searching, preaching, and worshiping. Look at me at verse 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They must have been excited. I can't imagine. And so they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger just as the angels told them they would. So what we here have, again, is the broken shepherds hungry for the good news. They're hungry for the peace that we hope to experience every Christmas to last. They're hoping and searching for these promises that have been given to them. They go searching. And the beautiful thing about our faith, as we're told in another gospel, is that those who seek will find. And for those who knock, the door will be opened. 
So if you search, you will find. And that's also the beauty of the gospel message this morning, that we can only find the Lord when He reveals Himself to us, but He assures us that when we look, we will find. So this sign that they have been given now confirms their faith in Christ, and it leads them immediately to preaching, to sharing the testimony, to sharing what they've seen and what they've heard. It says so in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So this testimony is coming from men whose testimony was not even admissible in a court of law. You know, the birth narrative. This is one of the most unbelievable stories we could ever be told. We have angels. We have the glory of the Lord. We have a virgin getting pregnant by God, but it's not like a siring. It's just, it's this weird thing. And 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 the 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 men that wrote this book are giving us the least creditable people to give the message to us. They become the first evangelists. They become the first preachers of the gospel message of peace. Why would God do that? Because he transforms the broken. He gives life to the dead. He restores us to himself. And they preach this exact message that, we, that they would have received. They would have preached the good news, the majesty of Christ, the anointed one who gives peace to those with whom he is pleased. And then as they depart, in verse 20, they worship. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And this is the only appropriate response that they could have had. To have these things happen, to have this message revealed to them, they burst into sharing of these things with those around them, and then they worship the Lord who happens to be in the manger. They worship the Savior who will deliver them, the Messiah who will bring peace. They worship God Himself in this manger. And so my question for you this morning is how will you respond to this message of peace? This message of peace is yours if you will accept the gift. And Christ is our gift of peace. So, Merry Christmas. The gift of peace is for you, and the gift of peace is Christ himself. Will you open it this morning? Let's pray.